You are listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit www.jointheventure.com. So last year, uh, a group of my friends and I, we went on this canoeing camping trip. It was a two-day two-night thing. We canoed over 25 miles in the Roanoke River. We camped in, we were in swampland. It was awesome man time, I'm going to tell you. So the thing about canoeing that I love is this. When you canoe, you can really slow down. Like you, if you're in a hurry to get somewhere and your primary form of transportation is a canoe, you need to chill out. Like it'll, it'll be a minute before you get there. And so one thing I liked about that is while we're flowing down this river, uh, occasionally we'd come across a, a fisherman in a boat, and, uh, and we'd just kind of drift up next to him, and we'd been paddling for several miles, and it's, you know, it's a great chance to just talk, and so we'd pull over and chat. And so we're in this, we're, we meet this one old fella, and he's in this, his boat, and he's fishing, and uh, we had tried some fishing, and we we're none of us great fishermen, and so we were trying, like, we're going to starve to death if this is our only way to get food. So we pull over, and we talk to him about fishing for a minute, and as we pull off, he goes, now you boys, you be careful. And he pointed, like, right, right ahead where we were headed. You be careful right over there. We said, really, why? He said, well, you see this creek that's coming into the river? That creek right there, man, that thing is flowing fast. And what happens when that creek hits this river? It creates this, this turbulent spot, right? And the two streams, they join together, and they start to mix up. And I'm going to tell you, I have seen it with my own eyes. Smaller boats like yours, if you get right in the middle of that stuff, it'll start to spin you around. It might flip you over and suck you in. And I was like... Oh, I'm glad we met you. And so um, we kind of discussed among ourselves, because we're like real adventure takers and kind of living on the edge. Like, well, but we're like, is, is he for real? Like, he's going to suck us under? Like, that's, but we totally avoided that spot. We're like, yeah, just keep moving. So we, we've been in this teaching series uh, on, on family right now called Foreheads and Doorposts. And uh, it's a teaching series on building a stronger family. Last week we, we, we discussed the, the, the idea of foreheads and doorposts and what that even means. And if you missed it, please check out our, our podcast or you can go to our website, jointheventure.com slash messages. And all the sermons are up there. Uh, but anyway, we, we talked about what that means. But ultimately last week we talked about Jesus and his highly dysfunctional family. Remember that? I mean, you go all the way back to just Abraham, and, and we, went, we traced through his family line, and there was just all kinds of dysfunction in that family, yet God somehow redeemed the world through Jesus, like changed everything. And so what we really pointed out was this, that God specializes in using messed up people for his purpose. That's, that's what he does almost better than anything else is specializes in using messed up people for his purpose. And so we followed that train of thought, and, and we specifically said this, that um, we're talking about family, but not everyone has the same type of family unit, right? I mean, your family could be mom, dad, kids, grandparents, and it's leave it to Beaver, and, and, and everybody's happy, right? Or your family might be something completely different, and your family unit really consists of the people that you work with and play with and hang out with, and that's really your family. And so we've kind of given this stripped-back definition of family, which is this. And if you didn't write this down next week and you just want to remember it, this is the phrase. That where lives intersect, that's where family happens. And we intersect around a lot of different things. Sometimes we intersect around common interests, like uh, it might be sports or entertainment or food or a hobby. Like we intersect around those things, and so that's... That's where family happens for us. It might be that the only thing that we can agree on with some people is that we are related by blood. It's like we're, we're relatives. We are biologically related. So I guess we got to hang out at Christmas because that's just what people do, right? 
where lives intersect, there's, there's, there's family. And where lives intersect, there is the potential for problem, right? Because we all have ideas of which way life should head. And so the goal last week was to talk about what does it look like to get our lives headed in the same direction. This week we're talking about a different intersection of, of life. The specific intersection is the intersection called marriage. Marriage. And according to the Bible, that particular intersection is a very important one. When, when two lives come together and they form a marriage, and I think that we learned a lot on the river that day from the old dude in the boat about marriage. I didn't really put this together until I was really studying through the passage this week. And here's the deal. Let, let me tell you what, what's true about a river. A river is not a body of water. It is, and you could say, okay, he's an idiot. I'm going to tune him out. But no, think about it. A river is not a body of water. A river is a network of tributaries and bodies of water, and it starts like a little spring somewhere. But before you know it, it's the Cape Fear River flowing into the Atlantic Ocean. It's this big, powerful thing. A river at its core is exactly what this old man tried to explain to us. A creek or a stream running into a larger body. And at that intersection, the two become one. And there is a high potential for turbulence. <laughs> Thank you for tracking with me. That's the way marriage can be. And in fact, I think it's a beautiful picture of what marriage is. It's, it's, it's two bodies joining lives together. If marriage is about anything, it's about making one out of two. And so throughout, today throughout my talk, I'm going to have these interjections. I'm just going to call them what-if moments, okay? And so this is the first what-if moment because right now there's, there's half of the room and you feel alienated because you're like, okay, he's talking about marriage, so should I leave? Because maybe when I talk about marriage, you tune me out. Like, it could be a lot of different reasons. One, maybe you're not married, and you have no intentions of being married. And, and, and it might be that you, you have experienced marriage in the past. Maybe you, you had a marriage that ended because of a divorce or because of the spouse passing away. And maybe when someone talks about marriage, you're like, I, I'm just really not interested in talking about marriage. Like, that's, that's a sore spot for me. I understand. That's just real life. Or it might be that you... You are thinking about getting married one day, or, and, and you're not quite there yet, so you're not quite ready to think about it. Or maybe, maybe you tune me out because you are married, and you've got it all figured out, and you don't want to hear nothing from nobody. Can I speak to you, whoever you are? You can do this talk next time, because I want to hear you talk. But for the rest of us, all of us in the room, here's the deal. Today's talk is, is right up your alley, no matter where you are. And because of a couple things. First, if you're not married, but you hope to be one day, what I want you to do is please take some notes, take some mental notes, and tuck those away so that it can help you build a foundation so that you don't find yourself in a situation that a lot of us are in where you're just like, I need to fix my marriage, but you can start on a better foot. Or maybe you have no interest in being married ever, but learning some things about marriage will teach you some things about God. And it may be very useful to you one day as you talk to a friend who has, needs some help talking through God, just God, not even marriage, or maybe marriage. And you can say, well, you know what, this is what I think the Bible says about it. And so that's, that's our first what if. What if I'm not married or what if I'm not interested in listening to you? Um, so let's jump right in. Let's jump right in. Uh, how do you build a stronger marriage? How do you take the intersection of two lives that become one and make it last? I believe with all my heart that the answer to that question can be found in the Bible. In fact, at Venture Church, I try to say it as often as I can, that we want to know that, the, that when there is the, the life's most important questions, let me say that again, life's most important questions are answered 
in the Bible. And so as we look through life and we think through life, let's look at the Bible, which I believe is God's word. And so what we're going to do is just open up the Bible and look at it and see what does the Bible say about marriage. And the very first mention of marriage happens in the very first book of the Bible called Genesis. Genesis is the first book of the Bible, and it's talking about uh, creation of everything and creation of mankind and the, and the origins of, of people and even the origins of God's people, ultimately what becomes Christianity. And that's in the book of Genesis. And by the time we get to chapter 2, we get this passage that becomes the foundation for all teaching in the Bible about marriage. Let me, let me back up a little bit and give you some context of where we are. By the time we land in Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 20, we, God has already created the universe, okay? And he's already created planet Earth, and he's already created all the plants and animals, and he's just summed up the whole thing with his prize creation, a human being named Adam. And we don't know how long Adam had been on the earth by himself, but it does say that he had named all the animals, which I imagine took a while. Unless, like, I had this uncle when I was growing up, and uh, I don't know if he still does this, but when I was a kid, th- this is what he did. He, he would always name all his animals the same name, Bud. And so, like, you go to his house, and there'd be, like, this dog named Bud, and, like, three cats named Bud, and a whole fish tank full of fish named Bud. It, he said it makes it simpler. I don't think that's how Adam named the animals. So I think he might have been on earth for quite a while, but this is what we do when we pick up in uh, Genesis chapter 2, starting in the second half of verse 20. We find Adam, and check this very first sentence out. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. This guy was lonely. He needed a companion that was his equal. Because when he looked at all the other animals in the world, he's like, well, that's cool. That's really cool. But I just need somebody for me, a companion. And so the Lord God caused the man, Adam, to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and then he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. This is the very first time Adam's ever seen a woman. And the man said, this now, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. He was on a roll, like he was naming animals and everything in the world. He's like, I will name you woman. And this is what it means, for she was taken out of man. Kind of cool thing. And that's the Bible's account of the creation of Eve. Um, I don't have the YouTube video of it to show you exactly how it went down, but that's, that's what the Bible says and where, where, where we came from, man and woman. In fact, it was kind of the first wedding, if you really think about it. Because they were the first union of man and woman, and it's pretty intense. I mean, it happened through a very intense surgical procedure and creation, making something from nothing. That's what God did. But next comes a little commentary on what marriage is. Verse 24, check this out. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, Right here, I want to point out two huge things. I'm going to read it again. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife. Or that is why a woman leaves her father and mother and is united with her husband. It, is, it goes both ways and they become one flesh. I want to point out two things. And they're not the main points I'm making today. But they are foundational to what the Bible teaches about marriage. And these are the two things. Number one, God created man and woman. He's the creator. He's the creator. It was his idea to make us. That means something. Number two. God created marriage. It is his. It was his idea. And so I could really get up here on a soapbox, and I've been married uh, 11 years, and I could stand up here, and I could tell you all the things I've learned about marriage, and my opinion about this, and I could define for you what I think marriage is and what marriage is not. 
But that's really not my place. God created marriage. It's his to define. It's his to set up the parameters for. And so that's the foundation with which we're moving forward with the rest of this thing. And so this phrase, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and united with his wife and they become one flesh, is something that I want to focus on today. There are a lot of teachings in scripture about marriage. Every one of them is based on this one simple commentary in Genesis. Every one. When you hear about marriage, you'll, you'll read about it. We'll read a couple of the passages here today. But every one of those writers goes back and says, this is what the original intent of marriage was. And it all comes down to this one thing. Marriage is about making one out of two. Bad math, good theology. Okay? Making one out of two. You remember the river analogy? You remember that? When these two bodies of water intersect, they can, they can flow differently. Check this out. When the two bodies of water intersect, they flow stronger and deeper and farther than they could ever flow by themselves. It's synergy, which is the process of having a bigger sum than the the component parts. It's like one plus one equals seven. Because the power of the two things come together and it it allows life to flow uh, stronger and deeper and farther than it ever could by itself. And so when you talk about combining lives, here's the deal. When, When we combine lives in marriage, you combine a lot of things. Like, I mean, really exciting stuff like uh, finances. You know, you combine finance. That's exciting. Like, and maybe, maybe you did it different ways or you're thinking about doing different ways. Or like, maybe, maybe you actually have a joint bank account that you build. Or you decide to split the bills up differently and you cover this and I cover that. It's real exciting stuff. And you combine lives that way. Or maybe for you it was like, well, she had a living room suit and I had a washer and dryer so, you know, that kind of worked out. And so we shared, and we combined lives in that way. Or maybe the way that you combine lives is, you know, it's, you, you can now have a combined storage unit, which is called your attic. And now you can take all your cool baseball trophies that nobody cares about but you anymore and put them in a new attic. It's awesome. Combining lives. Marriage is real exciting, isn't it? That's not what marriage is. That, what, what I just defined was combining stuff. But sometimes that's where we draw the line on marriage, and we say it's just combining ourselves. Let me be honest with you. You could do that with a college roommate, anybody. You could, you could share rent. You could share a washer and dryer. It's just, no, it's not, marriage is not about combining stuff. Marriage is about combining lives, lives intersecting to build one another up. The Bible says the two become one, and we're not talking about something that's just physical here. We're talking about something that is spiritual, a spiritual union of two souls who decide to weather life together to love one another through good and through bad they choose to combine spiritually and so the first half of this verse back in Genesis says this it says that is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife that's just the first half so let's just kind of unpack just that little thing at my wedding we had this visual thing that happened on the stage Uh, maybe you had something similar to this or you've seen this in weddings that we had three candles on the stage and in the beginning of the ceremony like both sets of our parents came up and they each lit a candle one on the far right one on the far left and then during the ceremony my wife and I then walked over to the three candles and we each took the the candle that our parent had lighted and then we combined our light and we it was, it was romantic and it was cool and there was oohs and ahs and there was one candle burning in the middle and it symbolized something right it symbolized how two families are becoming one and two lives are becoming one and so that's a really cool picture of what happens here in this first verse this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife because what happens is you are leaving your father and mother which I think is what Bill Cosby's every single Bill Cosby comedy sketch is based on like leaving my house It's about setting up a new life. It's about joining lives together, about saying, this is us now. We are grown-ups. 
maybe small teaching point, maybe you need to hear that. Because sometimes in marriage, there, there's this moment where you just want to run home to mama. Well, I'm not saying like if you're being abused or if it's like a terrible situation, yes, you should get out and you should find a safe place. But sometimes things just don't go our way. So we, we, we spit in our face. Or, or this is another thing. It happens all the time. Guys are the worst, but I think it goes both ways. Yeah, you're, uh, your mashed potatoes are good. Uh, but you should really get my mom's recipe because she doesn't have these lumps things that you seem to, like, the two become one. And, and, and that's, that's, a, that's a joke, but it's, it's, it's about us saying, look, let's start something together. Just uh, me and you. Let's do this. Let's set out on our own. Let's grow together. Marriage is about starting a life with someone else. And so that's that first half of that passage. This is the foundational teaching on marriage. That, that is why the man leaves his father and mother and is united with his life. It's about starting something new. But then the second half, uh, let's add to that verse, that is why the man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife, and they become one flesh. I'm about to say one of the most, mm, I don't know what the word is, pointed and important things that I may have said yet from this stage. Because of the culture that we live in, okay? So if you're a step ahead of me, you know what I'm about to talk about, then good. If not, hang on, because it's a big deal. Um, let's talk about the last part about this verse. They become one flesh. There was a time, when it comes to marriage, when the concept of a honeymoon really meant something. Now, I'm not going to stand up here on my 1950s TV show platform and, and, and try to paint a picture of white picket fences and how everything used to be better in the good old days, because it wasn't. But there was a time when the honeymoon meant something. It wasn't just about a trip to the Bahamas. It was about a union between two people, something that happened on a marriage day, on a marriage night, in a marriage bed. It was about the consummation of a union between two people. It was about sex. Now that I have everyone's attention, <laughs> you know, God created sex for the context of marriage for a reason. And I want to do some teaching on that because I, I don't, sometimes there's just this fuddy-duddy approach to it and stick-in-the-mud type thing and, and, and something is said and there's really not any biblical things brought forth that's just like, oh, you're just trying to hold me down. You're trying to define what I can do with my life. L listen, listen to this, okay? God created sex for the context of marriage for a reason because he knows something that we don't. He knows something that... Something spiritual happens in that union. It's not just physical. I don't fully understand it, but what I know is something deeply spiritual happens. Souls interact and unite. That act was created for marriage because it was part of the two becoming one. I know everyone is listening now because I said sex, so let me continue and teach an important biblical truth that many of you don't want to hear. This is it. Sex is for marriage. It is. It is for marriage because God created it. It was his idea. And something happens more than just the physical. It's not for before marriage. It's not for outside of marriage, like an extracurricular activity. It's not because God is a prude or a stick in the mud, but it's because he knows what it means for two to become one. It's a spiritual union. I'm not just going to stand on a, up here and, and, and make a statement. I want to show you scripture that talks about this. The, the message is a version of the Bible. Uh, a lot of you use the New International Version. That's the free Bible we give away. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, please take one. We've got free ones to give away. Um, 
but the message is a version of the Bible. It really puts in a very, very uh, colloquial speech, which is like very, very street talk. Like you can understand exactly what's being said. And I love the way that 1 Corinthians 6, 16 through 20 is said in the message version of the Bible. And it talks about this very thing, and it kind of teaches and explains. But write that down, 1 Corinthians 6, 16 through 20, and read all of 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 if you've got questions about God's idea of sex. Okay? Don't listen to me. Study it for yourself. It's in the Bible. This is what it says, though, in 1 Corinthians 6, 16 through 20. It says, there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual, a spiritual mystery as a physical fact. As written in Scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the Master, and again, this is written to people who are pursuing God and who are Christians. I also recognize that you might be in the room right now, and you're like, I heard this with church people who don't like church. I don't really do the whole God thing. And so th- this... This is still God's truth, but I would encourage you to stick around and see, like, what, what does this mean? So, so listen to the rest of this. Uh, since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. Can anyone attest to that? Right? The kind of sex that can never become one. There's a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sins, we violate the, violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love, for becoming one with one another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Didn't, don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God pays such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. Can I say that again? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. Listen, marriage is about two becoming one. And this is part of it. The spiritual side of it. I want to finish this thought uh, and move on to something else. But before I move on, I need to address another what if, okay? This is uh, what if number two. The question is, what if I've already chosen to make myself one with someone else or multiple people? Look, I know the world we live in. I know I'm not stupid or naive. I know that the, 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 the rate at which we, we give ourselves away physically. And, and so what if I did? Well, the first thing you need to hear is this, and I hope you hear exactly what I'm saying that God offers a fresh start to you no matter what you've done, okay? I'm talking no matter what you've done, God's grace is offered to you. And grace means forgiveness that you don't deserve, okay? God, God, God offers you that. we got this phrase we use at Venture Church that says we are grace-shaped. Because a lot of things can shape us, including that thing that I'm talking about right now. A lot of things can shape us, who we are emotionally and psychologically and, 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 and physically and all these things. A lot of things can shape us, but we are going to say, no, no, no. Only God gets to define me. And so we're not people who are defined by the mistakes of our past or the choices of our past. We're people who are defined by God's grace and what we can achieve from him through his grace and his love. Okay, So maybe you've already made that decision, and I want you to know like, it's not the end of the world for you. God offers a fresh start, and it can happen today for you. Listen to these things that you need to know, though. There's a couple things you need to hear. First of all is this. There are consequences. There are, every act has a consequence. This is from 1 Corinthians that we just read. It says there's a sense in which sexual sin is different from all others. Because of the way that it affects us spiritually, 
It may be true, though, that sin is sin and God sees it all equally, but there are consequences. And, and let me just give one example, but you could probably think of a million. For example, a one-night stand might just be a one-night stand and it might have equal consequences as any other choice that we've made. But if it results in a pregnancy, there are consequences, right? Like there's a baby to take care of. And so I want you to know, like, if you, if you have to live in some of those consequences, that might be just part of the way that you walk your life from now on. Doesn't mean that God can't use you and doesn't love you and doesn't forgive you and can't give you a fresh start, but that's the way it is. And so that's life. And I love that we can be a community of people who can em- embrace that and say, hey, look, we understand that you're starting over, and maybe there is a baby to take care of. Let's do that together or whatever. And there's lots of other examples. Here's the second thing. Um, hear me. Hear me. There's... You, if I'm talking to you, you've probably already tuned me in or tuned me out, so I hope you're tuning me in. If you are currently making yourself one with another person right now, if that's a habit that you're living in, or maybe many people, this is my advice for you. This is from God's Word. Just stop. Stop. Stop it. Even if you believe right now that that's the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with, I'm going to marry them. I love them. Great. That's awesome. I'm so glad you found somebody. But stop having sex with them. Because what you are doing is you are robbing that intimacy that God created for the context of marriage. So stop. And it might be that you need to stop and have a conversation with that person and say, okay, remember the analogy of the rivers? And it's about two becoming one. And you need to have a conversation with that person and say, let's talk about where life is going. Like spiritually, I know we have the white picket fence picked out and we can get like, uh, you know, 2% financing on a house. Like we got all this figured out. And it's like, yeah, it's going to be great. Where where are we headed spiritually? Because right now your life is this awesome river and it's going, and their life is this awesome river and it's going, and as they unite, what's happening, you two are becoming one, but then you still have possibly a different idea of which direction you should go after that. It creates turbulence. It creates problems. So have a conversation with them. And if you can agree that you're on the same page, I recommend something. Ask that person to marry you. And set up a wedding day. And call me. I will do it for free. I'm dead serious. At the, at the end of this service or at the end of this series or at any point, I'm willing to marry you and your significant other right after church. we got witnesses. I'll get with you and we'll go to wherever we got to go and get the paperwork done. I will encourage you to sit with me and do some counseling, and make sure this is a good decision for you. We're not just going to be marrying people off like Vegas. But <laughs> marriage is a spiritual union where two become one, and I want you to take it seriously. And so if you found that person, awesome. Dude, I'm, I'm ecstatic. I'm over the moon for that. But stop that one thing that you're doing and pull back, and I'm going to tell you, you will not regret it. You will not regret it. Um, let me make sure I said everything I wanted to say. I wrote it down because there's a lot. So here's the thing. Um, if you don't, if you don't and you continue to have that union, the problem is the two still became one. And, and then when the two become one, here's what happens. The stronger river will decide the course of where you're going to go after that. Let that sink in. Because you want God deciding the course of your river, your life, your direction. Thirdly, last thing, what if, what if, uh, what if I've already made that decision? What if, if you're looking for a strong and happy marriage, don't settle for anything less. I mean this with all the love in the world, but don't, don't settle for playing house with somebody. I, I, take the time to think through it and make sure this is a lifelong commitment, and if it is, make it a lifelong commitment. There's no practice session here. That's not what God set up for you. 
Because if you take the time to do this, you will not regret it. God offers fresh starts. Start today. Start today. And if you need some help working through that, I'm going to say some things at the end that will help plug you in with some resources and some people to talk to. Um, as I said a lot there, and I'm going to stop and I'm going to move on because that's, it's, this is about strong marriage. But I do know that some of the decisions that maybe you've made in and outside of your marriage have affected the marriage that you're in. And so maybe that also will help you. Or if you're not married, that also helps you. So let's move on. Probably when we look at marriage uh, in, in the Bible, the most commonly referenced part of the Bible when we talk about marriage is in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is a book, uh, it's actually a letter written by a guy named Paul uh, to a church in a city called Ephesus. And in Ephesians chapter 5, he's going through all this list of relationships that we have on earth and how they relate to God. And um, so he's going through all these things he talks about. He talks about husband and wife, he talks about kids and parents, he talks about employers and employees, he talks about all that. But then in verse 21, chapter 5, verse 21, he kind of sets himself up with this one. Here's the word I want you to remember. The word is submit, okay? And so what we're going to talk about right now uh, is what does it mean to, to submit in a relationship? It says in Ephesians 5, 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's beautiful. We can all get behind that, right? It's about humility. It's about love. Submit to one another. Um, then he goes right into talking about wives and husbands. And so we're going to first talk about wives in chapter 22. This is kind of some roles, some, some ideas that God has for how a wife reacts in a marriage. Chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which is, he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. This is not a popular verse of scripture in 2014. It is not. It is the reason a lot of people don't want to be Christians. Because they think that Christians teach that marriage is all about, uh, you know, putting women down and male chauvinism. And that's not what this says. I love what just happened. We just saw in verse 21, we were like, uh, submit to everyone in the Lord. And we were like, yeah, submit to everyone. That's great. That's awesome. And then I say, wives, submit to husbands. And be like, uh-uh. Mm-mm. Nah, my man. You don't know my man. He is a blockhead. What does that mean? What in the world does it mean to submit to your husband? Here, um, here's what this is about. God designed all of us to fit ideally. We're talking about an idyllic world, okay? Ideally into an order of things in family, right? And he says right here, husbands are intended ideally to be the head of a household. And wives are there to be a companion to him and a, and a supporting role for him and, and a submissive role to him. But not because God is a chauvinist pig or because men have to lord over their wives, but because God designed men, ideally, with certain qualities that should lend themselves to good leadership. Things like being protective. Things like being providers. Things like being nurturing. Uh, not nurturing, that's wives. Things like being uh, aggressive and being willing to stand up for their family. Those are the things that, that men in general, I'm not painting everybody with a broad brush, but that's the way God initially and ideally designed family to work. And so let's be honest though, guys, some of you stink at that. You are not good at leading your families. You're terrible at it. I'm not calling you out, I'm calling me out. There have been times when I've had to sit down with my wife and be like, you know what, I should have been a better leader here. Like I should have set a better example. I let this happen. I let you take on this thing you shouldn't have to take on. I need to do better at that. So guys, sometimes we stink at that, but ideally, that's how God had it set up. And your wives may be much better at it than you sometimes. But in the design of God uh, for marriage, the wife, just like Adam said, not a suitable helper was found for him. Not, no one that was his equal. No one that he could really relate to. 
The wife is designed as a companion and a helper of the husband. Ladies, Paul is encouraging you to get behind your man. Let him lead your home as, as Christ leads the church. And if your man isn't quite there yet, like maybe he isn't even doing church stuff, like you're not even interested, help him. Help him. Maybe the best you can do is just pray for him. But do your best not to rob him of the thing that God has planted in his heart to be able to do, to lead a family. Um, God has given him this ability, and he can do it. Submission is not, listen to me, sufficient, submission is not about inferiority. Submission is about humility. It is very likely. I know we have this phrase, you're better half. If you know my wife and you know me, you know who's the inferior human being. It's me. My wife's an amazing human being. It's not about inferiority. It's about humility. All throughout the Bible, God uses uh, human relationships to teach us things about his relationship with us. And so, for example, he says he's a heavenly father, and he calls us children. And so we're like, oh, I get that. I get kids and parents. I get that. So I can kind of understand how God relates to humans, right? So he gives us these relationships, and the same thing's true with husbands and wives. And so there's this teaching in the Bible that says that the church, that's us, that's all of us, people who are part of the church, who are doing our best to figure out God and live for him, the church is the bride, the wife, of Jesus. And it says that Jesus is the head of the church. And we are his bride. Uh, we are his body. We're his hands and his feet. Wives, I want you to hear this. Think about the amazing things that the church has done in the world. I mean, there's some shameful things that the church has been a part of. But the church as a whole has been about changing the world, about changing lives, about making this place a better place to live. Wives aren't chained to be, taught to be chained in the kitchen and, and doing endless laundry. That's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, wives... You got my permission right now. Tell your husband he needs to help you with the housework. You work out your own arrangement, whatever his work schedule is and your work schedule is, but it's okay. That's not what this is about. This is about a goal of submission to your husband. It's not about resorting to doing the menial tasks. It's about respecting him. When I talk to people, a lot of husbands, about marriage, this, this thing comes up a lot. A lot of husbands, ladies, this is something that your husband wish you knew, Maybe probably, they wish that you would respect them more. Because everywhere that they go, they get respect. I get respect at work. I get respect when I walk into a, a gas station. But I come home and I feel like a child. I'm not being respected. Show them respect. They want that. They long for that. Ask them. Ask them. And it may start a very difficult conversation, but you won't regret it. If you're both willing to submit to each other and listen, husbands, I mean, wives. Now let's talk about husbands. Uh, so we've built a lot here. A lot of what I just said actually builds right into the husband conversation. But let's just finish out this, this, uh, this verse. We're going to go to verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Listen now. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is huge. Husbands, once again, we're returning to the comparison of how marriage is like the church in Christ. And if we thought submission for wives was a, a big bill to fill, listen to what husbands, guys, this is what you're responsible for. Loving your wives like Christ loved the church. God came to earth in human form, and that was Jesus. And he gave up all the splendors of what it meant to be God in heaven, to come down and live a life where he experienced pain from where he had never experienced pain and didn't have to experience pain before. And where he experienced emotional things that he didn't have to experience when he was fully God. And he gave up some of the perks that came with being God in heaven. And that was Jesus. And what did he do? He gave his life to connect the church. Who is that? All of us to God's love. 
Now, we talk about that every week at Venture Church. And so maybe this, if this is your first time coming, and, and, or maybe your first time being back in church, or church time ever in church, and that's like, what is he talking about? God becomes a man and loves us and gives his life. Like, what's that about? Stick around. We talk about that every week. But that's the example that Jesus set for how to love a wife. He loved us so much that he eventually gave his life to connect us with his love. But what does that mean for husbands? It's simple. Guys, step it up. Step it up. Be the leaders in your home. Love your wives. How? Sacrificially. It may mean giving up some of the pipe dreams that you once had as a bachelor. To see through a larger vision for what your family can become. Listen to the rest of this comparison. It's pretty strong, but it starts off talking about Jesus again. Verse 26, it's talking, talking about the church and Jesus. It says that Jesus presented the church to make her holy, the church holy, cleansing her by the washing of with water and with the word. Verse 27, and to present her to him as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Let me just explain that. That was talking about what Jesus has done for us, the church, purifying us, connecting us with the word of God. That's what Jesus did. He set the example. I want to help you become the best you that you can become in God. Verse 28, husbands, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife also loves himself. Marriage is a big commitment to God. And it's not just about combining bank accounts or sharing bills or getting through the daily grind. It's about building each other and helping each other to grow. And husbands, you're called to lead your families. Be the head of the house. Not the grumpy old man who's sitting on the recliner screaming for somebody to bring him another beer. But get up and do something. Make a difference in your family. Be a hardworking, honorable person, making it a point to lead your family to a better understanding of what it means to follow God. And you might not be there yet, guys. You might, I mean, none of us are. We're all growing. We're all learning. But you may need to start out by looking for a mentor. Find somebody that you think was a great godly dad and husband and Ask them for an hour of their time. And ask them to hold you accountable in the things that you want to become. Maybe your dad wasn't really a great example of what a good father or husband should be. That's real life. But there are lots of great examples that you could learn from. To find somebody. And, and if you need me or somebody to help to connect you with someone, that we, we've got some great husbands right here in this room. And I'd love for you to learn from them. Um, and they would all probably tell you, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. And you're like, cool, cool, tell me what you're doing that I can do and not know what I'm doing too. Because we all want to just help our families be stronger. Um, maybe for you, uh, you didn't have that godly example. And if you did go to church, it was because your mom drug you to church. You ever heard that? I, I got a drug problem. What? I got drugged to church, got drugged to Bible study, got drugged to, like, a lot of people had that growing up and maybe that was you. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way. You can break the cycle. You can help your family grow stronger and closer to God. Being the head of your home is about laying down your life for your wife and for your family. Making sure that she knows that you love her. Not because of what happens or doesn't happen in the bedroom. But because you respect her. Because you honor her. Because she is a cherished gift that God has given you. She needs to know that her position as your bride is not challenged by anyone. Not the cute co-worker. Not the uh, the uh, swimsuit issue calendar in your man cave, not the videos you watch secretly when you think she doesn't know. But that her position as your bride is not challenged by anyone, that you love her, that you honor her. 
And uh, you know what? She's got needs. Ask her about them. Just like I encourage wives to do to husbands. Ask her, talk to your spouse. <laughs> and it might be hard, but you won't regret it. You'll be glad that you did. And you can, the two can become one and be stronger than you ever were alone. Um, let me step aside, okay? One more what if for, for today. There's a lot. But this is a huge one, and I wish I had more time to cover it deeply, but here's the what if. What if, what if my spouse is not on board with this? Like, obviously, you're here today. That's awesome. But, man, to get your spouse out of bed to be here at church today, that ain't happening. I don't care how many cool kickball tournaments your church has. They ain't, they ain't coming to church. I thought a lot about this, and, and, and here's, here's the, 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 the shortest answer I think I can give. There's more. There's so much more. Here's the thing. What if your spouse does not want to be on board with you in, in, in being a God chaser with your lives together? Um, well, Jesus has the same problem. If Jesus is the husband and the church is the bride, Jesus has the same problem that you might have in your wedding, your, your marriage. Uh, there are a lot of people who say that they're a part of church, but they are not on board with living for God. And they attend and they come and they, they, make, they, make, they make stuff for church cookouts and it's awesome. But man, in their heart, it's not there. So what does Jesus do? He keeps on loving them. There's so many examples. Thousands, probably maybe millions in the time since Jesus was here of a God-honoring spouse winning their spouse to God by simply loving them and living out what it means to be a believer, a Jesus follower. And so when the argument about church happens, don't fight with them. Show them how being a Christian makes you different. And when something comes up that you totally disagree with, don't slam the door and run out. I mean, maybe you need to leave. But don't, don't pitch a fit. Show them what it means to be different as a Christian. It will drive them freaking crazy. And they will see what the love of Jesus does in your life. And this is huge. We just spent three weeks, a couple weeks ago, talking about the power of prayer. Pray for them and get a circle of people praying for your spouse. Not that they'll come to church. Their lives will be radically changed by what God's love can do for them. So what if? What if your spouse isn't on board? Understand that Jesus has the same problem. You're in a pretty good camp. Just keep trying. Keep trying. Um, look, there's infinitely more that could be said about marriage. And we'll talk about it. Remember, we're a brand new church. We're like seven months old, okay? And this is our first ever teaching series on family. And we'll get into more stuff. And be different topics, and, we'll, and some of the questions, some of the what-ifs that I didn't hit for you, shoot, shoot, shoot an email to the, to the church, info at Join the Venture, and I'd be glad to either respond directly myself or get someone in church who I know has got a definite better perspective on it than I do, and we can grow together. But we will talk about more things. But here's the deal. Uh, we can start today by building a better picture of what family is and by understanding what marriage is, because marriage is about this. It's about two becoming one. It's about lives and spirits joining forces to flow stronger and deeper and farther than they ever could by themselves. It's not easy because where lives intersect, there is the potential for turbulence, especially in marriage. But you can work through once you realize that marriage isn't about you. It's about us. It's about two becoming one. And as I close up today, I, I want to be very pointed about this, this last thing. I, I talked a lot about some serious stuff today, and I'm not a hit... 
like on something really sore for you, like, ouch, don't talk about that, please, that really hurts, don't talk about that, and, uh, and I am, I'm sorry that, you're, that you hurt, um, so what I want to do is let you know that there's, there's so much help in this city for you, like wherever you are, any of the things I talked about today, uh, I will say this, you can come talk to me directly after church, actually we have uh, something to do right after church, so I might be running around, but grab me, make a note on your connection card, I want to talk to Chris, but I'll tell you what, there are a lot of amazing people in this room right now who, who would probably be even better to talk to. None of us are licensed counselors or therapists, okay? But there are great places in town that we could connect you with. And there's free resources that we know of through other churches that we can connect you with. And so maybe you need to have that conversation. I don't want to be a church where you have to come and listen to some dude rant and rave on stage for half an hour and then send you on your merry way and go figure that out. No, I mean, we, we want to be a church that is a resource to each other, okay? So if you need somebody, today, tell somebody. You need somebody, and you want to talk about some stuff, and you want to make some decisions. Um, marriage can be tricky. It can. But listen, it can also be very good. That's God's design for marriage. It can be a powerful river of two becoming one by building marriage on loving God. Can I pray for you and your marriages and your relationships this morning? God, we love you so much. And we just thank you for the opportunity you give us to, to know you and be known by you. Though we're not really worthy of all that, you give us the opportunity. And so thank you. Um, thank you for the chance that I get to share uh, what you've laid on my heart from your word. And I just pray for all the marriages in this room. And all the, everyone in this room, uh, however marriage has affected them, whether it's been broken family uh, or just their desires for moving forward with family on their own. Uh, may we all grow together and thank you for giving us examples that we can follow. And uh, we thank you most of all for setting the example of, of loving us the way you love the church. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.